Good morning, church. Good morning. Test, test. Good morning. What a blessing it is to be with you. We are continuing our sermon series called Favorites. We asked you what your favorite verses of Scripture were. You submitted those. We compiled the lists, and we're getting to teach you those verses. This morning, I want you to turn with me into the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 16. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, Jesus Christ himself makes a profound statement in a specific conversation to a specific person that echoes through time. It is important today to grasp what Jesus meant when he said these words as it ever has been. So let me give you a little bit of context before we get into this content, okay? Jesus Christ is having a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is an individual whose faith was undercover. When Nicodemus approaches Jesus, he does this under the cover of nightfall. Jesus' message and teaching and actions had been uh, spread throughout the lands. And Nicodemus gets word of this and decides to investigate this guy, Jesus himself. He goes to Jesus. He says, Jesus... I've I've heard some of the things you've done. You're obviously a man from God. Tell me a little bit about what's going on. Jesus says, hey, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus says, I'm an old guy. How can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no, you're not getting it. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Just as Moses lifted a rod up so that people could survive, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Jesus uses an Old Testament story to indicate what's happening as he's living here on this earth. So then we get John chapter 3 and verse 16. You've had time to turn there. Let's read this together. I'll start reading here in just a second. I'll read and you read with me. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, Nicodemus, God loves the whole world. A Greek word here to describe the word world is cosmos. Everybody say that with me. Cosmos. It's the root word from which we get our American word, cosmos. Huh? You guys are Greek scholars and you didn't even know you knew as much Greek as you did know. The word cosmos in John 3.16 is the word we interpret as world in the scriptures. And it means every single being on earth. Alright? So John's gospel uses this word cosmos 74 times. And in John's other writing, he uses it 28 times. He uses the same word over 100 times. The the purpose of this series has been to to get to preach and teach on the verses that we put put in our minds when we're feeling discouraged or downtrodden or downcast or depressed. These are the verses that get us through. And it's important to understand that one idea you have to be able to bring to mind when you are really struggling is that Jesus Christ loves me. 
So I want you to take a second and I want you to tell the person next to you that Jesus loves them. Take a second, person on your left, person on your right, Jesus loves you. Feel the love. Feel the atmosphere of love in this place. Come on, everybody participate. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Alright, alright, so now I want you to flip that around. And I want you to say it like this. God loves me. Let's all say that together. God loves me. Friends, there is nobody under the sound of my voice in this building or across the state of Louisiana or across the nation of the United States or across the globe that cannot say that and it be true. God loves everybody. Now, it's not unusual for me to get the the chance to talk to a family or an individual that's really struggling and for us to boil down some of what's going on with their life and this is not the key issue. That at some level they really don't believe that God could love them. That because of what they've done or the thoughts that they think or what they're planning to do or where they live or the clothes that they wear or the job that they have, that, that for some reason the enemy has led them to believe that God doesn't love them. And a guy comes to Jesus in the dark of night and he says, Jesus, how can this all be? And Jesus says, the way this works is because God loves everybody, Nicodemus. A guy who had an undercover, insufficient faith. Jesus uses this to pierce through the darkness and shed some light on his heart. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to teach through this. First, I'm going to give you the testimony of five guys, including Jesus himself, to help us understand what the Bible means when it records Jesus as having said, God loves the whole world. Because I want you to know that that includes you. And that includes your loved ones, and that includes all the people you interact with on a daily basis, those you have interacted with, and those you will interact with. We're going we're to hear five testimonies from five men about what God actually means when he writes these words in the gospel that Jesus has said. And then we're going to talk about God's love, not just being an attitude, but an action. That he sent his son. It's not just that God felt lovely feelings towards his creation, but that he did something about that love. And then we're going to talk about application, what that means for each of us. So let's look at the scriptures here. What does God, what does Jesus Christ mean when he says God loves the whole world? Well, you have to back up to John chapter 1 to get a clear sense of what God intends for us to understand. When Jesus says God loves the world, John chapter 1 and verse 29, it's on the screen. If you're switching there in your Bibles, you need to underline this is important. The next day, John, John the Baptist who, by the way, was a distant relative of Jesus in Luke. We got record that Mary, Jesus' mother, was the kinswoman of Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. Some translations even call them cousins. And actually, John, in, 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 in John chapter 1, John the Baptist in John chapter 1 is questioned by the Pharisees. The Pharisees hear, hey, here's a guy who's doing these unique things. He's baptizing. We've got to go figure out what's going on with this guy. And so the Pharisees, the Jews sent, sent, the Pharisees who are Jews sent some guys to talk to John and they're like, John, look, are you Elijah? And in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, the last verse of scripture in the Old Testament, God says he's going to send a prophet like Elijah. So they're like, John, are you that guy? John's like, no, I'm not that guy. They say, are you the prophet? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Bible records that a prophet is coming. They say, are you that guy? He's like, no. He quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. I'm the voice pointing to the one who is the guy to come. 
Shortly thereafter, in the Gospel of John, John the baptizer sees Jesus and he says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Guess which Greek word it is to describe the word world in John 1.29. Cosmos. Man, you guys are like trained theologians already. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the cosmos. This is a guy who was basically homeless, who ate locusts, and was really a weird dude. So when he says this, he's got to be feeling that love. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away even my sin. But some people, even after that, are still not going to be convinced. Let's look at the words of Peter. Peter's the guy who denies Jesus three times right before Jesus is crucified. At hearing the possibility of resurrection, he blitzes it to the tomb to see if Jesus is alive, likely hoping that Jesus can forgive him of his denial of Christ. Peter, who was the uh, uh, apostle to the Jews, says this, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some count slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter understood what it was like to really fail God and also understood what it was like to be redeemed by the same God that I failed. And as God inspires these words, Peter gets it when Jesus says he loves the whole world. That's not because of who we are or what we've done or what potential we have in the ministry. It's because of who God is. And He's a God who's patient, that doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that includes you, and it includes me, and it includes the whole world. But some still wouldn't be convinced. The enemy's been working on you for a long, long time. The Apostle Paul is one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament. He's training a young man for ministry. In, 2 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Apostle tells Timothy, Look, Timothy, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's almost like Paul saying, Hey, Timothy, there are going to be times in your ministry where you want to associate with those who have something to offer you. Maybe it's money, maybe it's political connection, maybe it's an opportunity for a place to worship, maybe it's, I don't know what it could be, but Timothy, don't get it twisted. We serve a God who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So go to the highways, go to the hedges, go to the places where people are downcast, where you're likely to find misery and nothing to offer, and people who are lacking in self-confidence. I want you to go to those people. I want you to remind them that our God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 16, we get a record of the words of Jesus himself. But the testimony of John the Revelator, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, is actually found in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. So we get 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, which is John, the writer of John's Gospel's commentary on whether or not God's love applies to everybody. 
Because John's got to know there are skeptics. So he says this, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's talking about people who are saved, who've been baptized into Christ, people whose lives have been brought from darkness to light. And he says, look, Jesus is not only the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but he's the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole. You guys are doing it. What Greek word do you think is used there to represent world? Cosmos. Cosmos. Everybody. The whole cosmos. Not based on merit or works of righteousness, but on the love of God, which Jesus says clearly is the kind of love that he showers on everybody. Jesus also gives us this idea in John chapter 12, verse 32. He's talking about his death again. And he says, listen, listen, when I'm lifted up, when I'm crucified... I'm going to draw all men to myself. I'm going to draw all men to myself. Not just the ones who got a doctorate degree. Not just the ones who are well connected politically. Not just the ones who have lived morally righteous lives where there's no hidden sins. I'm wanting to draw everybody. And it's... it's, It's so obvious to me through the testimonies of these five guys. You got two of the most prominent writers in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Then you got John the Revelator, who's arguably the third most prominent. And then you got John the Baptist, the guy who God sent to make way for the one who the whole New Testament is about. There couldn't be any more powerful examples of who God loves. When Jesus says God loves the whole world. God loves you. And he loves everybody across the face of this earth. And you've got to let that truth sink deep into your soul. Because the enemy would like nothing more than to get you to believe that that's not true for you. Matter of fact, it's so true that God's love compels him to act. Remember, for God, his love is not simply an attitude. It's an action. When Jesus Christ says God loved the whole world, he's really quick to say how God has demonstrated his love for the whole world. That he has sent his son. That God gives his son. This is what astonished the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, God's demonstrated his love for us. How crazy is this idea that even while we were lost in darkness and in sin and misery, that Jesus Christ died for us. But what did that mean for Jesus Christ? Go to Isaiah 53. What did the sending of the Son mean for Jesus? Let me read you the words of the prophet Isaiah here. The Bible says this, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of who? God loves all of us. And He laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. Two benefits as I see it in Isaiah 53. Uh, The first one is found in verse 4. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. I was reading in preparation for this sermon. I came across a story in 1982. The Vietnam War Memorial was commemorated in 1982. Fifteen years from that date, by 97, when this story was written, 54,000 items commemorating lost and fallen loved ones had been laid at the foot of the Vietnam War Memorial. 54,000. It takes park and recreation workers about an hour every single day to collect all the mementos that have been left at the foot of the Vietnam War Memorial and catalog them. And they're precise in their cataloging of these items. All 54,000 of them have been tagged and stored. No one ever expected this to happen, said a park ranger. It's so personal. It caught everyone by surprise. Friends, loss comes to us all, doesn't it? And we often try to carry our grief and our pain around with us. We struggle with our emotions, trying to do it ourselves Is there a place where we can leave all of these sorrows and all this pain and all this grief and this suffering? Resoundingly, the answer in Scripture is yes. Jesus Christ has taken on your pain and bore your suffering. He can carry that burden for you. But there's a second more important benefit here indicated in Isaiah 53. In verse 6, we see it. This is what Jesus is concluding statement is in John 3.16 that God has laid on Jesus Christ our iniquity so that we could have life through Him. He came not just to bear our sorrow and grief. He came that we might live. That through Him we might be made the righteousness of God Himself. I was reading another story In 1997, uh, a a parachute instructor named Michael Costello jumped out of an airplane with a novice parachutist by the name of Gareth Griffith, who was 21 years old. They were connected via tandem harnesses. So there was one parachute between the both of them. The novice would soon discover... How good of a parachute instructor his instructor was for when they pulled the ripcord, their parachute failed. Plummeting, plummeting to the ground, they faced certain death. But the instructor did an amazing thing. Just before hitting the ground, the instructor rolls over so that he would hit the ground first and the novice would land on top of him. The instructor was killed instantly. The novice fractured his spine in the fall but was not paralyzed. One man takes the place of another, takes the brunt for another. One substitutes himself to die so that another may live. 
So it was at the cross when Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. And it's because of that death that you can have a brand new life. It's because Jesus Christ took your sin upon Him, bore your shame to the cross, and was crucified that you can be justified and made righteous. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You can be baptized into Christ and brought up to new life right here. In the life that we live day to day. So that was the context. We've, we've read, we've experienced the content. What God means through Jesus when Jesus says, God loved the world and he gave his only son. So whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean for us in application today? What, what, how should that change our lives? The first thing is. Because Jesus loves us, we should be able to love Jesus. Think about the guy who Jesus is talking to that prompts this discussion. Nicodemus is the man's name. If you read John chapter 3, you you understand, just like I told you, that Nicodemus was the guy who came to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness in privacy because his faith was, in fact, undercover. You see, for a Pharisee, the teaching of Jesus would have really gone against what you had known And it would have threatened your livelihood, your social group, your way of life. But Nicodemus couldn't get over the fact that Jesus Christ was really doing some amazing things. By the time they talk, Jesus had already turned water into wine and had cleared the temple and had called some disciples to follow him. And not only was Nicodemus' faith undercover, his faith was insufficient. He was trying to find a way to understand Jesus by putting Jesus in his box. Okay, Jesus, so are you saying this, 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 and this? Because this is how I've always been taught. And Jesus is like, you're not getting it. Your understanding is insufficient. You've got to be born again, reborn. And when we understand that Jesus really loves us, we don't have to have insufficient faith where we box Jesus into our little understanding of who God is and how God loves and how God works. And we can love Jesus on God's terms. And then our faith doesn't have to be undercover. There's a really good example of of what I'm talking about here in John chapter 19. When it's Nicodemus himself who prepares Jesus for burial. Nicodemus and a guy named Joseph of Arimathea ask if they can prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Nicodemus brings two spices, myrrh and aloe, to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. 75 pounds worth of spices. And if you do some research on the significance of that amount... You'd, you'd uncover that that is an amount meant for a king. You think Nicodemus got it? Absolutely he did. He understand that when Jesus Christ was crucified, that the meaning of that conversation he had with Jesus under the cover of nightfall even applied to him. Nicodemus, God loves you. And so I've been sent here so that you can have life through me. He got it. And now his faith didn't have to be undercover. He could really love Jesus out in the open. The second piece of that is, if Jesus Christ loves me, then I really can love others. When I really understand that the love of God applies to me, that Jesus Christ's effort on the cross applies to me, 
It should empower me and embolden me and strengthen me. And it should give me a compassion for all those who really haven't understood that yes, it is true. God does love you. And it should move me to spread that message across the globe like wildfire. It did for John the Baptist. It did for the Apostle Peter. It did for the Apostle Paul. It did for John the Revelator. It should do the same for us, church. When we understand God's love for us, it should move us to show that kind of love for other people. Because now we're in the family and we want other people to get in too. Some of us really struggle with that. Again, there are so many people that I talk to that don't get that. They don't understand that Jesus really does love you. Talking to them because the enemy has led them to believe a lie about who they are or who God is or how God loves them. And so some of you are in this last camp because Jesus loves you. You really can be made new. Look, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You need to be moved to obeying the gospel by the message of the love of God. And when you've been made brand new, you can really love Jesus and you can really love others the way you've been created to. And that's the crux of everything we do in life. Are those three principles, loving Jesus, loving others, and helping others be, be made brand new. Let me tell you a story in, in conclusion. I have a three-year-old who is the cutest kid on the planet. If you've ever seen my little Judah, you know this is true. Man, He's got this blonde hair that will not stop and these blue eyes that are like you are just gazing into the heavens. Now, I'm serious. He is a, a total gift from God. He's three so he's now really starting to get verbal in life. And he'll talk for two hours if you just give him some nonverbal and some verbal listening cues. Like, oh, yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. Man, he's just going, going, going. So we got this routine we do at my house before I leave in the mornings. I tell the kids I love them and give them a kiss. And he's been following me out of the house. And most mornings he says, after I say, Jude, love you, buddy, he'll say most mornings, I love you too, Daddy. Don't forget to remind me that I love you. You talk about a melted heart. I mean, in that moment, my heart just completely melts. What he's actually meaning to say is, I love you too, Daddy. Don't forget to remind me that you love me. That's what he's meaning to say. Because for his little three-year-old mind, it still feels really reassuring to know That his dad loves him. And that's the point of this whole deal this morning. And and you watching online, I want you to know that too. I am here today to remind you that God loves you. Every single one of you. And we need to know that truth and be reminded of it day in and day out. Because it emboldens us. It empowers us to love Jesus and to really show that love to others and to really be made brand new. I hope that you've heard that this morning and I hope that it's penetrated through any of the lies the enemy has led you to believe. And I hope I hope you approach your love for Jesus and your love for others in a brand new way. I'm going to close by saying a prayer. After I pray, if you have a need in your life, we'd like to pray for you this morning. Let's pray. 
Lord, we just love you so, so, so much. Because you first loved us. You loved the whole world. And we thank you that even while we were dead in trespasses and sins, you sent Jesus Christ to die in our stead because of your love, which was an action, not just an attitude. And there are a lot of people under the sound of my voice, and I know this, and they know it, that have a hard time believing that that kind of love could be intended for them. They've got unrepented for hidden sins that make them feel like you can't love them. They've got things they've done in the past that maybe they've disclosed that they still haven't let go of, even though you have. Some of them are being beat up by the enemy with situations unimaginable. And to hear that truth takes so much effort, it just doesn't really fall on ears that can hear. Let them hear it this morning, Lord, please. And I ask that any and all who have a need and want to be prayed over or baptized into Christ, that they would take this opportunity to start that journey today. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.